Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible meditation teacher, podcast host, and infertility expert, Josephine at Lori. Hi, Josephine, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. I'm really excited to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about loving through infertility. And for those that don't know, Josephine Lurie is an expert in meditation and in overcoming adversity to find joy. Through her unique journey on her path to become a mother of five, Josephine weathered many ups and downs with IVF, international adoption, and surrogacy. Channeling her experience to find calm, courage, and to focus on perseverance, she now helps others navigate life's curveballs through group and individual online meditation training and her own Responding to Life podcast. How are you today, Josephine? I'm doing great. Awesome. And I'm excited about hearing about your incredible journey. But before we go to the past, let's just talk about the present particularly today's stressful times. We're in a new normal. We're still quarantining, still sheltering in place. Many of us still unable to see our loved ones. And a lot of your work in the world is helping people cope with the stress in their lives. And now it's about navigating this new normal. So how can we best remain connected in today's challenging times? I love this question. And it is one that we've been constantly asking ourselves during this lockdown that we've been in for, it's crazy, it's been a year. And one one thing that I always try to advise people in terms of being connected and staying that way when we feel so isolated is to remain connected with oneself. And mm. to do that, to constantly check in and ask yourself, you know, have a conversation with yourself seeing how you're doing today and mm. what do you need and listening to your body, but also listening to your heart and mm. taking a moment to just, to just sit and be aware of how you're doing in the grand scheme of things. Because often, even, even though we're still just stuck at home or partially so our, our lives are definitely not as, as, busy or overwhelming as it was mm -hmm. before just in in the regards to the fact that we can't go here and go there and have the freedom to go wherever we we want to there's a little bit more of um restrictions or at least things to consider so even though things have kind of transitioned into a different pace it still can feel overwhelming and we can still get caught up in all of the stuff that's happening that we don't take the time to have that conversation with ourselves. But you'll find that if you even just take a, a couple minutes to do that, you will have a better approach to your day because you're coming from a place of understanding of 
how you're feeling and what you need. If you need to uplift yourself, if you need to motivate yourself, if you need to give yourself space. And that just translates into a better unfolding of your day Mm. as it relates to other people and yourself. Yeah, I love that. And one of my favorite instructions I like to give also in teaching meditation is first I say something like, how are you? And then I pause. And then I say, how are you really? Uh, Because we're so used to answering the question, how are you with I'm fine or all good and totally avoid what is actually real and coming up for us in the moment. And then it's that, how are you really? That's like, oh, wow, actually, I'm sad or I'm overwhelmed or I'm stressed. And you mentioned like once we gain that level of awareness, it's a matter of providing ourselves with what we need. Whether, as you said, you need to uplift yourself and motivate yourself. And I'm wondering, yeah, what that next step kind of looks like. And I'm thinking about a friend who kind of recently shared with me. They're like, yeah, I'm simultaneously overwhelmed and underwhelmed. Because I'm overwhelmed because there's so much going on in the world. And so many challenges. And, you know, there's people getting sick and dying but I'm underwhelmed and I'm just at home. <laughs> like nothing to do and by myself and also not happening. So there's this kind of strange dichotomy um, with the fact that like we're in kind of like a worldwide emergency and we have to stay at home <laughs> not right. do anything as a result. So in that moment where we do uncover, yeah, I'm overwhelmed, I'm bored. What's the next step to giving ourselves exactly what we need in that moment? Yes. No, that's a, it's a great question. I love how you put, put that and that it is like that dichotomy. I always, you know, when people are feeling overwhelmed or sort of out of control of their situation and feeling stress and anxiety start to creep in, I just tell them to take it one breath at a time. Um, Mm. You know, people say the saying goes, uh, taking it one step at a time, but here actually using that breath to help you move out of that state of overwhelm, that state of fight or flight and into a state of relaxation, a state of awareness and peace. So that way you can move from a place of clarity and Mm -hmm. come from there in terms of how you're going to respond to whatever situations you're facing in life. It's hitting that pause button and taking that breath, that breath of like fresh air, that breath of renewal and clarity that can make such a world of a difference rather than trying to operate in the state that you're in. Mm -hmm. It is so important. We live in a fast paced society and we live in a society that welcomes the grind and to keep going. And it is so important to pause during the day and to feel our own breath. And I'm wondering, you do teach mindfulness to a lot of folks. I'm wondering what you generally recommend for somebody who's kind of never practiced mindfulness or practiced meditation in their life. Are we talking about an hour of meditation a day, three times a day, or you mentioned just like a few minutes, but I imagine we might also want to do that different times during the day. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that is a great question. I teach a lot of people who are beginners, and it's great to be able to get them at that entry point because then you can sort of debunk so many myths that they already have without having even tried meditation or mindfulness. And one of those things would be the 
this issue of time and frequency. Mm. And I like to come at mindfulness and meditation when I teach people to make it as accessible for people as possible to break down as many barriers to entry as possible because I myself as a working mom with five kids, I know how difficult it is to add a new thing to your schedule, to your routine of habits. Even if you know how beneficial it is for you, it's still extremely tough to add something else on your plate. So I like to approach it by telling people to answer your question to just try it out for a few minutes. If you can do three to five minutes, you still reap in some benefits of mindfulness. First of all, you're able to give yourself a much needed break, but then also within your mind, you're able to move from that state of stress into a state of calm. And in terms of times of day, there are definitely different ways that it can benefit you. So for example, doing a few minutes of mindfulness and meditation in the morning sets such a great tone for the rest of your day. You're starting it with intention. You're saying to yourself that this, you know, I'm taking a moment to just after I wake up to clear whatever it is that's in my head about what I have for that day and just come from a moment of peace. Mm. And You know, we all know, like, for example, if you wake up and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, that it just continues on with you. But imagine then if you were to do this in the morning, you set the trajectory for your day. Mm. Another time to use it is also in the evening. So if you have trouble sleeping, it's a great way to allow your mind to enter into a state of relaxation versus going through all the things that happened in the day in sort of a fretful state or thinking about all the things that you weren't able to accomplish or all the things that you have to do the next day that you weren't able to do. You know, those sorts of things can really amp you up and keep you from falling asleep or even having a restful sleep once you are asleep. So being in a state of mindfulness and doing meditation at night serves a great purpose if you need help transitioning into that calmer state so that you can really rest and and get Mm. re-nourished and re-energized as you sleep. And then throughout moments of the day, like they're also serve a purpose of hitting that reset button. Every time I need to take a break, I like visual, have that mental visual of like me hitting that big red stop button and just pressing Mm -hmm. it and thinking to myself, okay, time out. I need to just reset because things are starting to get overwhelming. Things are starting to feel like they're getting out of control. And I just feel so much better when I'm able to take that pause and and reset myself. So there are many different applications to mindfulness and meditation throughout your day. Uh, it all depends on what it is that you need. So it sort of becomes this cycle of this feedback loop of practicing mindfulness in order to get better at being aware. And then as you become more aware, you get better in tune of like what you need in the moment. And then you're able to give yourself that through some more mindfulness so (laughs) that's another benefit of practicing even if it is just for three to five minutes a day is because then you're better able to access this clarity this peace the next time you try because you keep practicing you keep trying
I love that. And I'm going to quote you on this. I know you didn't say this verbatim, but I like how you said, basically said that when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, meditation puts you on the right side. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. You mentioned that you like debunking sort of myths around meditation. And I do think one of the biggest myths people need to realize is that meditation is not peaceful all the time. Mm. You know, a lot of teachers are like, okay, everyone, relax, take a deep breath and find peace. And you you, know, you do this and you're like, nope, still stressed. <laughs> 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 I had a student one time and they were like, yeah, I'm having really trouble in my meditation, attaining a meditative state. And you really have to unpack, you know, what they meant. Like, you know, what do you think a meditative state is and what do you think you're not doing? So there is this big myth, I think, that if our mind is racing, if we're having anything that's challenging come up, then we're not meditating. Mm -hmm. And what do you advise for folks who feel like they're a bad meditator because they're not finding peace just by focusing on their breath? Yeah, no, I love this conversation because you're right. For some people, when, when they have all these preconceived notions and these expectations, of what the experience is supposed to be like and how they're supposed to operate during that time frame, it can create more stress for them because they're not doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. And that goes completely against what's supposed to be doing for you. So I always remind people when I start to instruct them that there will be thoughts and that it isn't a matter of completely shutting off your thoughts. Like that's not what we're trying to necessarily achieve here. It's more of your response to your thoughts and practicing the art of not getting entangled in your thoughts and not becoming your thoughts. Mm. Thoughts will happen. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of thoughts a day. The idea of us being able to completely clear it from our mind for how many ever minutes we're sitting in stillness is impossible. And that creates so much judgment. And so that's another thing what, that I try to advise people when they're starting off is that, okay, yes, you'll have thoughts, but as you have them, try not to entangle yourself in it. Do not become your thought. And then in the process, just allowing yourself to not judge the experience or yourself, mm. to just allow it to be. So you have a thought about the grocery list. Okay, so you have the thought. Gently saying or seeing whichever works for you the thought and then imagining yourself either telling the thought that you can return to it later or visualizing yourself pushing it away with the idea that you can come back to it later and then returning back to that anchor point that you have whether that's your breath or a mantra whatever it may be and then begin again like that actually I always have these phases for my mantras Uh, Mm -hmm. that correlate with how I'm feeling during a certain season. So for a while, at the very beginning, when I started off, I always loved Be Here Now. And Be Here Now is just, I just, it was this gentle reminder for me to just keep coming back. Okay, you have a thought, but just keep keep coming back. And it's okay. And I so I use that often with uh, many of my new students. Um, But one thing that really is resonating with me right now is um, begin again. And Mm. so that's what I've been using quite lately because there was a period of time where I just, I couldn't sit in meditation for myself. And um, 
and and so I can speak to this idea of judging oneself and having a hard time not having the experience be the way I wanted it to be for me. Mm-hmm. So I had to let it just unfold the way it needed to because that is what I needed at the time. And so having that phrase of begin again served the, as this purpose, as this reminder to myself that it's okay to start over, whether that was because you're starting over a minute ago or if you're starting over because you stopped like weeks ago, it's okay. You're coming back to it. And this next moment that you're in is what matters. Mm -hmm. This moment that you're in right now, what you're doing with it. So don't use it to sit and stir on those thoughts. Just begin again. I love that mantra. It's so beautiful just to begin again. And I love your approach of not getting tangled up in the thoughts that realizing meditation is not about shutting your thoughts off or clearing your thoughts as you would a dust, but not getting so caught up in them, not believing everything you think and not letting our thoughts feed into negative emotional states like self-judgment. And I feel like everything you're talking about right now ties into real experience, real life experience that you have had on your journey to becoming a mother on this idea of beginning again after what you were trying to do didn't work out the way that you had imagined. So our topic for today is infertility. And you yourself have undergone and overcome many challenges in order to become the mother that you are today. Tell our listeners about your journey. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to do so. It seems like a lifetime ago, but due to an illness my husband had, we knew we had to go into IVF once we were ready to have kids. So we did that and very naively thought that going into IVF meant we'd instantly have a child, but that did not work out. And about two years into the process, that's how long it took us to finally become pregnant with twins and everything was going well uh second trimester unfortunately we lost the pregnancy Mm. and it was at that point where i had to really just pause you know we've been talking about this pause but that was a a moment that was forced upon me Mm -hmm. and that i had to really not only just go through the whole grief process but had to really sit and reevaluate like how I was doing and what I was capable of continuing to do. And that is what led us to international adoption because I had to come to terms with the fact that I was just exhausted and that I couldn't continue along the path that we were on to become parents and that we needed to try something different. So we actually then adopted our son a year later from Kazakhstan. And after being parents to him, it was wonderful. We decided to try IVF one more time and became pregnant with twins, carried the twins. And in that process, we were able to save some embryos, but I could not carry again. So we saved up for about six years and then worked with this amazing surrogate and proceeded with gestational surrogacy and she was able to carry another set of twins and that's how we became what I like to call this modern day family of five kiddos. Wow just so much things there you've encountered like what most people had never experienced but what some people experience maybe once or twice in terms of a miscarriage later on in the pregnancy in terms of working through a surrogate in terms of 
going through IVF successfully and unsuccessfully, and then international adoptions. So before I get into kind of each process, I'm curious about how you maintained love and care and affection and intimacy and connection with your husband and going through all of these challenges because you know the topic is loving through infertility and I've been talking a lot about on the podcast and my blog about how easy kind of love is at the beginning of a relationship when you're just falling in love and everything's perfect and you go on dates and you're young and alive And the real work of love begins when the rubber hits the road, when you meet challenges, when you meet illnesses, when a person loses their job, loses a family member. That's when the real work of love begins. And all of the experiences that you're describing are extremely challenging um, for both partners. And blame and judgment and shame can come up for oneself, but also against the other person that like you're getting in the way of me achieving my dreams or something like that. Were there some practices or understandings or commitments that you had made to or for each other in order to weather through these storms that you went through? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love how you described love. (laughs) (laughs) Love how you described love. Yes. uh, It is definitely a lot of work is what I tell people. We have been married for a long time, actually. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how long we've been married. Um, it's 20 years, I think. And you're right. It's during those moments of challenge that the love gets tested and the relationship does get put to work. And so during these many years that we were trying to become parents, it definitely took a toll on us as individuals, but also as a couple. And I do have to say that it was really tricky to do it because I started to internalize a lot of the failures and the successes that we weren't having on my, upon myself. It, Mm -hmm. you know, I find that a lot with my own clients is that they just take, it's hard not to, uh, because it's your body and you think that your body should be doing a certain thing, thing that we learned growing up that it was responsible for. So for, you know, the woman's perspective, it can be very easily tied to your worth, your existence, and that can create a lot of friction within your relationship. And so one of the main things that we had going for us was the fact that we had already weathered a very big storm in our relationship. And, you know, back when my husband was ill, when we were still just dating in college. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had gone through that and we had survived it. And we basically then when we were starting to try to conceive, just fell into that same like battle stance of how we we faced the challenges that we had. Mm-hmm. So here roles were somewhat reversed because rather than me sort of supporting him now it was kind of the other way around and we were very familiar with the amount of space the other person needed and then when that person needed support and when they needed strength and when they needed comforting and in the ways in which it was necessary it was a little situation was different here obviously but we still knew how to be there for one another and back when we were trying to conceive 
it was so long ago that there weren't any of these support groups that are available now. Now there are just all these, there are apps. There are all these communities. There are social media where people find support. I mean, there's so many wonderful resources for someone who's trying to conceive that they don't have to feel alone and hmm. feel like unsupported. But back then there was nothing. It was my husband and myself. And so we really had to lean on one another and also know when to sort of speak up and don't get me wrong. We definitely had moments where it was really tough and, and it was hard to talk to one another. But at the end of the day, communication was really just mm. key in all of this and drawing upon our love. That was what sort of supported both of us throughout the process. Yeah, what you're saying reminds me of something that recently came up on the podcast, which was a phrase along the lines of how both partners should think that they're giving 60% in a relationship and be willing to give 100%. And the first half of that sentence is like, you should think you're giving 60%, like you're putting a lot of effort into the relationship because you don't realize or see like the effort that your partner is making when you're not around. But it's the being willing to give a hundred percent that is sometimes necessary in relationships in long-term relationships when one partner is going through something, you know, one partner might be in the hospital and the, and the other one has to pick up all of the slack. And it's really beautiful to hear that. Yeah. At the beginning of the relationship, there was times where you were giving and being there for your husband. And then he was able to give back to you later on. And I'm curious a little bit more about your experience. And by the way, if any of these questions get too personal, we can skip over them. Not a problem. But I know that you teach a lot of mindfulness, which involves noticing our habitual reactions to things. And, you know, you're going through these struggles many years. And I'm just imagining a friend calling you up and being like, oh, yeah, so I'm pregnant. Yeah, it just happened for the first time. You know, we tried and it happened and nine months down the line, they have a happy baby. And I can imagine like the jealousy, the envy that can come up when something that you're struggling with for somebody else, something gets so easy. And this applies to all areas of life. You know, something we're struggling with, somebody else is able to move through rather easily. And I'm wondering how your mindfulness practice, your meditation practice helped you overcome the emotional reactions that we all experience in life. Mm, yeah, that's a great topic. I'll be honest with you. I didn't have the benefits of mindfulness back when, or at least not outright, like in practice, when I was trying to conceive. And I wish I did, which is why I'm so passionate about helping other people use mindfulness strategies, use meditation in their process of trying to conceive because it's a great resource to help you not get overwhelmed in the whole process. I mean, it can really take over your identity. And so I didn't have that back then. And, mm. you know, I got caught up in the idea of comparing myself. I was actually <laughs> just saying this to my to my son the other day, I told him, comparison is a thief of joy. And mm. I'm like, do you know what that means? <laughs> do you know what that means? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that was something that I was affected by because mm. I was 
starting to hear of other people, friends and coworkers who were getting pregnant and to my mind was easily because it just seemed to happen out of the blue. And that did rob me of my joy. You know, mm. I, I got consumed in it and I got consumed in the whole process, honestly, that it felt like, like when I look back at that time, it kind of felt like a blur. Like, was I able to enjoy other parts of my life? I don't, I, you know, sometimes I remember that maybe I did, but could there have been more moments? Yeah, sure. Was I being mindful of those moments at that time? I don't, I don't really think I was, I was just so caught up. And so it's hard to, to do that. That's the beauty of mindfulness because it touches upon so many aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, and in what we're talking about, you know, comparison of other people's experiences and how we respond to them, it can be so easy to get caught up. But when you're mindful, it allows you to take that moment of pause again and to just ask yourself, have that conversation with yourself about what's really happening in this situation. Like, mm-hmm. why are you reacting in this way? How can we respond in a different way and in a way that doesn't rob us of our own happiness that's outside of whatever is happening to this other person? So that is why I just, I'm just so passionate about helping people who are trying to conceive to be able to use these strategies because that way they can continue to have a life outside of their fertility, outside of their path to parenthood and not have it just take up their entire lives. Yeah, I very much appreciate your honesty and authenticity about the emotions that you went through and how it was a learning process. And much of your work now is devoted towards having other people not have the same experience that you had, but rather be equipped with the skills and tools to cope with the uncertainty and the challenges And along with those skills and tools, I'm curious what your advice is for people getting over the existential crisis that happens when we find out that our life is not going to go the way we imagined it. And this happens with raising a family in particular. You know, people dream of being a mother or father to their biological children, right? And they also dream of it going smoothly they get their jobs in the house and then the 2.3 kids and the kids get straight a's and go to harvard and like everything you know (laughs) there's a dream that we have and then there's the reality where some people learn they are unable to have their own biological children they have a child with special needs that they never could have predicted and suddenly who they thought they were going to be is no longer possible uh, in their life in this lifetime and we have to welcome in something new. So how how do we do it? How can we best navigate the challenge of our new life that is coming and letting go of the life we had dreamed for ourselves? Mm. I'm loving this whole conversation. <laughs> and, you know, one thing that I have found beneficial is to journal. Mm. And it's a way to really tap into that mindfulness and just explore it. Like you can explore it when you're being mindful and sitting in meditation, absolutely. And allow yourself to listen to what's happening within. But I find that with mindful journaling, you're really able to see what comes out 
because things just come out as you start writing, or maybe even if you're just voice dictating your journal, which is another way of doing it, that things just start to pour out. So if you're able to ask yourself the question of what is it, what was the story that I had planned for myself? And then letting that story out and just seeing, then asking yourself, like, where did these ideas come from? And then just questioning sort of the plans that you had for yourself and whose ideas were these actually? Were they yours? Did you pick them up from someone else, from your parents, from other caregivers, from your spouse? Mm. You know, we have all these ideas of how life is supposed to play out. So you need to, rather than just accepting that, well, I always thought that I would just have four kids or two kids, to take that extra step, that extra mindful step of questioning, you know, where is that coming in from and does it have to be that way? And so that you can reconcile what is happening to you and have some semblance of peace from it because you're, you're digging deep as to where it's really coming from. And when you're able to do that, have some clarity as to where all of these notions are coming from and these ideals of what your future is supposed to be, it frees it up so that you can realize that you're writing your own story Mm -hmm. as you speak. And so that is the essence of being mindful is that you're in that present moment. The past is the past. It happened already. There's nothing you can do about it. And the future is unwritten. It's not promised to you. Tomorrow is not. What's happening and what is promised to you is this very moment. And so in this very moment, you're also writing that story of yours. Now, however unpredictable it is. So you can constantly evolve it, though. That's the beauty of it. So, so yes, you have fertility challenges or you are now a parent, but you have a parent with special, you have a child with special needs. So you now come from this place of what your experience is and now you can continue to write a new story every day mm. and, and come from that place of clarity because you were able to to like confront what these things were from the past that were that you were holding on to and that were by holding on to it it was causing you so much anxiety and grief because you weren't able to attain it. Yeah, you could almost say you're ready to begin again. Mm, yes. I <laughs> <laughs> love how it all comes back together. <laughs> I really love your importance of questioning your own beliefs. Many weeks ago, we had another mindfulness teacher, Or Nadrich, on, and she asked this question, like, says who? And so when you're like, yeah, question, like, you know, when you think, oh, I, sh- I should, you know, be the mother of my children, I should have this family that fits the, the model and the stereotype. It's like, says who? Like, where did this idea come from? Like, because clearly society and culture has kind of placed this nuclear family model on some sort of pedestal. And so this is like something we should all should attain. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's in line with our truths, what we want from our life. And it's also just not possible or viable for a lot of people for a myriad of different reasons. So we have three journeys for you. We have the adoption journey, we have the IVF journey, and then the surrogate journey. And what I'm drawn to talking about right now is the surrogate journey, because that seems so different than what many people are familiar with. 
because, you know, people think it takes two people to have a baby. But, you know, many gay and lesbian couples also uh, end up getting a surrogate. So tell us about how that happened in terms of how did you find this person? What were some benefits to getting a surrogate? Obviously, you don't have to deal with pregnancy, but what are some benefits of getting a surrogate? And what were some cons to the experience? Hmm. Yeah, surrogacy, it's been around for a while, obviously, but... In terms of people opening up about their experience, I feel like that's very new. So in terms of, you know, we found our surrogate through our reproductive endocrinologist. They recommended mm. a, a bunch of places. And we wanted to work with someone who was familiar with working with our doctor and our facility. So that that way it was just one less step to worry about. And so that's how we, you know, we worked through the agency. We were uh, very much like, I always can describe surrogacy as like a mix of adoption and doing a fertility treatment like IVF because mm -hmm. it's, you know, you have to go through sort of, you still have to go through the IVF, but you still, then you have all this paperwork and then these interviews and very much like adoption. So we had to get information about potential partners, surrogates, and uh, interview them and go through that whole process. And, you know, after doing that, it did take some time because there was quite a wait for a gestational surrogate. And we eventually partnered up and matched with this I call her my angel. She's just amazing to me. Every mm -hmm. time I look at my my little boys, I I think of her. I, it's hard not to, mm -hmm. and and forever grateful to her. So in terms of pros and cons, the the first pro, the there's so many pros. But I mean, if you are unable to carry for yourself, then a pro would be still being able to conceive a child that is genetically yours through through someone else who is able to, to carry the child for you. So that's mm -hmm. a big pro. If, if you feel that you are an, unable to adopt, um, and if you feel that not having children is, isn't an option for you. And so that is a definite pro. A con of this is that very similar to adoption and IVF, you, in this regard, you've lost control of the situation. Mm. And that's hard for many people because they want to, especially if you don't have any existing children, it's sad to not be a part of the process and to watch it. Mm. I've In many other interviews, I've called it watching from the sidelines because you're, you are watching the growth and development of your child through someone else. And that's difficult. And 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 actually, as you're watching from the sidelines, it, it gains so much clarity of what it must feel like for the partner mm -hmm. to go through <laughs> a pregnancy, because you're so invested in it. You're very emotionally invested, and you want to help, but there, you're very limited in what you can actually do. And and so it it was fascinating for me to finally understand what my husband was went through all of those years that his felt like his hands were tied. Um. So that is a con, although it's not something that, you know, you can, you can work through. I had to work through that, the whole entire journey of the surrogacy process of making peace with the fact that I was not the one carrying and, and all of the sort of issues that come with that, all, all the judgment of oneself, all the questioning of one's worth and one's ability and all of those things that come with it. It's hard not to have those, those thoughts about, about oneself um, and having to grieve 
the loss of your expectations, the expectations mm. of what your pregnancy was supposed to be like. Again, going back to that idea of what that story was supposed to look like and knowing that you you are rewriting it in, in that moment. Um, and the pros of this, you know, if you're comparing it to something like adoption, here at least you're able to go along the process. Oftentimes with adoption, the child is already born, especially with international adoption. So there is absolutely no information and there is, you are not a party to, to that process of growth. So that is definitely a pro because you're able to be a part of those doctor's appointments, whether it's virtually, you're just hearing reports and, or actually being able to be there depending on the location. So that is definitely a pro of the situation. So those, you know, there's, I can go on and on about it, but those are probably the main things that I would consider. That's so interesting. I never realized before that you kind of had the experience of the male and the pregnancy of sort of watching somebody get pregnant and really helping them and wanting to support them, but also realizing it you're not in control of the situation um, mm-hmm. that you had, which is what you had kind of with the surrogate. And I w- wouldn't mind tackling into big and challenging subject, but it's I feel like it's not talked about enough in society, even though it's so common, and that is having miscarriages and the reality of miscarriages. I know the stats aren't perfect, but I've heard that a third of all women will have a miscarriage in their life. Sometimes they don't even realize it. Uh, they don't realize they're pregnant, but you know, anywhere from t- 10 to 20% of women do experience it at some point. Because that can also happen like with the surrogate as well, and that you put all this pressure on this third party to do this thing for you. And then they can also ex- experience and have a miscarriage of somebody else's child. So you had your own experience with it personally, and then it had the outsider's experience of fear of it happening with somebody else. So how can we best work with the uncertainty of even with our best efforts, the pregnancy might not be viable and it might not happen? Yeah. In those situations, you can go down a rabbit hole of, of what ifs mm-hmm. with anything, really. I mean, we can be talking about anything at this point and all of the worry that will come with that. But there's only so much that you can do. And so with with that situation and any situation really the best thing that you can do is just to be present and mm. you know that obviously I'm a mindfulness and meditation teacher so it seems like that's what I my answer is for everything but really when it comes down to it miscarriages and failed pregnancies most oftentimes and a lot of times you just they're unexplained and they're, mm. they're you can never figure out the cause of it and so Knowing that, like, you could spend so much time worrying about, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if, what can I do to prevent things? Versus just allowing it to be mm-hmm. and living that day, having that experience, knowing that your surrogate is carrying your child and that in that moment, everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And living in that reality versus trying to think about all of the things that you can try to prevent in the future, not really knowing what it is that you're trying to tackle. But if you're doing the best that you are in this moment, doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing, then this in that moment is everything is great. There's nothing to worry mm. about. 
unless of course you have some other issues that you're aware of. But if you're just going with general terms, then that is how I had to approach it because mm. you can make yourself crazy if you're trying to think about all these other things. Well, thank you so much, Josephine, for coming on, for sharing your incredible story and being vulnerable and honest and authentic about the growth and the transformation that you have gone through. And I hope it provides solace and hope for anyone else going through these same challenges. And I'd like to close out with the same question that I ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? It's such a great question. So thank you for um, asking everyone this this thing to ponder. And so the thing that I wish that everyone knew about love is that love begins with you mm. and with yourself. So we can love our others even when we don't love ourselves or if we don't love ourselves fully. But there's always a missing piece to it, you know, because when we love, we're giving of ourselves in that moment. And so if you don't love yourself first, then the love that you are giving to that other person, it's not at the full capacity that you could give. And, and also in that same vein, you're informing that other person of how you should be loved, but you're kind of giving them a, not a full view of what it should mm. be. So that's why I always like to say that it starts within. Such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much, Josephine Lurie, for coming on to the show. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show, Zach. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Then I would love for your listeners to come check me out over on my website, jatlurie.com. You can find me on Instagram at josephinearatlurie. I post a lot about mindfulness tips as well as fertility and parenting mindfulness and meditation tips. Uh, I have a number of free meditations on my YouTube channel, Josephine Atlery Meditation. And then as you mentioned, I also have a podcast called Responding to Life, Talking Health, Fertility, and Parenthood, where I interview guests um, within all those three subjects. And on my website, you can also book sessions with me or take my online mindfulness courses or read many articles that I've written on the topic of health, fertility, and parenthood in the scope of mindfulness. So I would love to connect with all of you in some capacity. Thank you so much. Mm, amazing work that you're doing in the world. How do you do it all? You got five kids? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so like, quiet. No one barged in. And <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So thank you for coming on, and thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember that Every moment, every breath, we can begin again. And that can be your mantra that you can apply to your own life, begin again. Our meditation and our mindfulness practice is not shutting off our thoughts. It is the practice of not getting tangled up in them. If you're having a crisis that your life is not turning out the way you imagined, remember the mindful step of questioning your beliefs. Who said that your life has to be a certain way? Because life is uncertain in so many ways, our task is to let it be. Recognize in this moment, everything is okay. And also don't forget that love begins with you. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Josephine. Thank you so much, Zach. Mm -hmm.
Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.